Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, which we'll get to in a minute. In the past, we've talked about uh, those things that light our fire, those things that we're passionate about, those things that you know, we can't stand anymore, that we have to do something about it. We referenced that, as I heard years ago at a conference, you know, that Popeye moment. You remember Popeye and olive oil? I mean, that's olive oil, basically put a dress on it, and that's olive oil. And Popeye would only stand so much, and then when it got to a point where he couldn't stand it any longer, he was an English major, stands it any longer, he would pop the spinach, muscles would come out, and he would take care of business, right? That's a Popeye moment, and it doesn't have to be out of anger. It doesn't have to be out of anything, but it's just something that you have to fix, something you got to be a part of, something that you want to change in such a way you become passionate about it. And I think that's what we need to think about when we start thinking about thinking like Jesus. There's another term that I could use, and it's another sermon that I had read years ago from a friend of mine talked about no stinking thinking, you know, because a lot of times we got thinking about what Jesus could do or what Jesus would do, but then we get on this other side and our thinking turns to stinking and we think of all the negatives. You know, yeah, we want to accomplish this or do this or change this, but one of the first things we think about, can't do it. I can't get it done. There's no way I can do it. And we start thinking about all the negatives, not the possibilities. Paul tells us in this text, and I want you to grab onto this very first, we need to have a certain kind of passion in our lives. And we're going to talk about that certain passion that we have. In fact, he gives us the answer in our text this morning. But what is that passion that Paul is talking about? How can it help us get better and be a better witness for Jesus Christ? During a long and losing baseball season, the coach was in his last game with his players, and they were losing horribly. And in the background, he could hear all of his players on the bench, and they were talking about everything other than baseball or that game. In fact, as he was on the bench and the boys were there, little Richie had a sister that was standing off at a little bit of a distance, and Richie's sister was really, really cute. And these little league boys were supposed to be focusing on baseball, but they were losing. They were in the dumps. It was a bummer season. But these guys were checking out Richie's sister. And after so long, the coach became so fed up that he turned to the dugout and said, boys, when you're in this dugout and we're playing baseball, all you talk about is baseball. You understand. After about a minute and a half of silence, clear from the end of the bench, one little boy goes, hey, Richie, does your sister play baseball? <laughs> now, the team may not have been very motivated to win the baseball team, baseball game, but they were motivated. Their minds were dominated by one thought, Richie's sister, okay? And that's just the way it works. Their team had to have passion in their thoughts, their conversations, and their passion. Yes, it was for Richie's sister, but... Even talking about that instead of baseball gave their life a little more excitement to an otherwise dull and depressing baseball game. Understand, it made the difference between an experience that was dragging them down and one that would lift them up and make their lives worth living. Okay, now I'm not saying one girl should make all that difference 
but to little leaguers, whew, makes a big difference, doesn't it? And that's kind of what we're talking about. Paul tells us in Colossians that we have a similar passion, or we should have this similar passion. A passion that makes our lives unique. It's a passion that should make our lives exciting. It should be as exciting as going on that trip or going on that vacation or taking that trip to that one place we've always wanted to go. And the first time we see it, we stand in awe. And we should have that every day in our life because it's the passion that God gave us. So understand, that passion is something. A passion that Paul says, we must never lose. That we must never lose. And Popeye had those Popeye moments, and it was always sporadic, and something always had to happen that, you know, Brutus was picking on olive oil, then he took his spinach and he took care of it. I'm not saying it has to be just those times, but this passion that Paul says that we should have should be a daily thing. Not because of who I am, not because of who you are as an individual, but who we are in Christ for what he has given to us for what he has blessed us with, with the gifts and the talents that he has given us, we should have this passion that Paul is describing. I mean, just listen to some things we've talked about already. In Colossians 2, 6, Paul says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. It's a continual thing. It's not past tense. It's talking about future tense, but it's a right here, right now, daily thing. In Colossians 3, 1, he says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Man, just think about if we would do that, just not as a church, but also as a world. If our hearts were set on things above, those eternal things, not the garbage, not the problems that are happening around us every day, not the things that we see and read about and we start that stinking thinking thing, but we're thinking about eternal things. He says in verse 15 of chapter 3, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Just not take up a spot. Not just to be around, but to rule, to dominate our hearts. In verse 16 he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's dwelling. It's there. It's something that we go to. And in verse 17, and whatever you do, Catch that, whatever you do. I don't care if it's picking up hay or plowing or doing whatever you do at work or do what you do at home or do what you do in public. It says whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whether you're speaking or people are seeing you do the work, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Man, everything we do. He's not specific. He's not saying just whatever you do when you're preaching or when you're in a board meeting or when you're teaching Sunday school, or when you're on that mission trip, you do these things. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Again and again and again, Paul tells us to do something. Paul says to remember our relationship with Jesus. We have to remember that He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is the Lord of our lives each and every day. And that right there should give us a passion to be able to get up in the morning and face the day. To get up in the morning and do what God has asked us to do. Yeah, we may be tired. Yeah, we may not know what the next day is going to bring. Yeah, we may not understand everything. But we have a passion to serve. Yesterday, we were out and about. We were doing stuff. And 
finally got home about nine o'clock. We dropped some stuff off at the church for tonight. And we got home and I was relaxed sitting there. And I had seen on Facebook where the big accident happened on 74. You know, several cars, a couple semis, had a helicopter underground, several ambulances. I knew that happened, but I'm not on the fire department anymore. So that's all I knew. About 11 o'clock, I get a call from Becky Lewis. And they've been out there since about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Now this is 11 o'clock at night. They had a car fire out there. They were coming back from that first call, got called before they even got back to 32 to go to this accident. So from about 2 o'clock until well past midnight, these people are out there. And she calls and she goes, hey, I know it's late. I know you have to preach tomorrow. She goes, I am so sorry I'd have to call you, but we got a couple of firefighters struggling with this whole accident thing. They're new, younger guys. She goes, I know you're not on the fire department anymore, but will you come over and talk to these guys? Because that's what I've done. 30 some years I said absolutely I said you just call me when you get back if they want to call I'm over there so then I sit back in my chair kind of get my mind wrapped around that doze back off and then Brent calls just a little before midnight I'm thinking okay I'm going to Perrysville he said hey we're going to do this later these guys are tired we got stuff to do we can't do it tonight can you meet with them sometime today sometime next week and I said absolutely no matter what so I go okay now I can relax and go to sleep this is left to midnight and then ed texts the group about midnight with a simple answer yes i'm going ed what is that even talking about because <laughs> i was tired by then you know and i'm thinking you know whatever you do and you know what i stand here now saying yeah it was midnight before i got to go to sleep but i would have stayed over there till two or three in the morning talking to those guys talking them through all of that if i needed to whatever you do whether in word or deed. But we have to remember that all this that we're talking about, how we think like Jesus and we get rid of that stinking thinking that Paul tells us to remember our relationship with Jesus. But the question is, how can I tell if Jesus really is the Lord of my life? And it's a question we need to ask ourselves. And now you're sitting there thinking, well, Kurt, you're the preacher. You know, of course he is. I stumble, I fall, I sin, okay? I'm just like you. How do we know that Jesus is Lord of my life? How can I tell if my relationship with Jesus is the way that I, or more importantly, he wants it to be? A mother and daughter was on their way home from church. The little girl turned to her mom and said, Mommy, the preacher's sermon this morning confused me which is not too uncommon with me, but this is not about what I said. The man said, oh, why is that? The girl replied, well, he said that God is bigger than we are. Is that true? Yes, that's true, the mother replied. He also said that God lives within us. Is that true? Again, the mother replied, yes. And the girl said this, well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? And I thought, wow. How true that is. He's bigger than all of our problems. He's bigger than our current situation. He's bigger than anything we're going to face. And yeah, that's true. He should and does throw show through. He would show through how do I make it so that Jesus shows through us. And I think maybe what we've got to do, the best way to do it is begin to think like Jesus. Just begin to. Just start maybe today to be, motiv- to be motivated by what motivates Jesus, to have the same goals as what Jesus had, to be driven by what drove Jesus. 
You see, in our lives, we should want to get to the point where I think so much like Jesus that my behavior becomes like that of those of young boys in the dugout. You know, remember that what we talked about the little leaguers talking about Richie's sister? That the game was boring, things were going on. You know, it's about like watching a Cubs game into the eighth inning when we got a 4 nothing lead, and all of a sudden we lose. You know, and you're talking about everything else but baseball. But we should think so much like Jesus and have his passion that no matter what we're doing, we tie Jesus into the conversation. I don't care if it's at a baseball game or at a home ec meeting or a quilting bee or painting or whatever. No matter what we do, we tie Jesus into it. Where I can't talk about anything else, I'm not saying, please don't get me wrong, because people drive me crazy when they do this, that you can't do anything without listening to a 10-minute sermon from them. I'm not saying preach to these people, but you can still show them Jesus. You can still share Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes the biggest words and the best words are no words at all. It's just an arm around somebody's shoulder. Maybe it's just being there in their presence. Maybe it's just them seeing you back in a corner, not doing anything, but man, you're here. And that makes all the difference in the world. I can't think of much about anything else except that which Jesus thinks about. And that's what we should want. I should want to become as passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. And could you imagine if we talked about Jesus and what he was passionate about just a fourth of the time we talk about everything else that we're passionate about? I mean, could you imagine just for a moment if we talked about our golf game a fourth of the time, we talked about Jesus? What would that change? Or what if we talked about Jesus a fourth of the time more than we talk about nothing at all you know that happens i go over to perrysville every about every morning for coffee we sit there for an hour we talk larry agree with me or disagree with me it's basically about nothing most of the time isn't it pretty much you know but what i like about it, it's a social time we have coffee then we go about our day but i can't remember the last time really anything came up about jesus you know, hopefully between Larry and I and Jeff and some other guys that show up that they see Jesus in us because we don't participate in some of the conversations that go on. But what would happen if that would change? Well, what is Jesus' passion about? Well, John 3, 16 gives us. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is passionate about the lost. Jesus is passionate about those who are in this world that needs to be saved. Or as Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So Jesus is just not passionate about the church, which he is. He's not passionate about us, which he is. But he's also passionate about those who are in the world who are lost. Those who are in the world that are sinners. Those who are in the world who have not found out about him yet. That's who Jesus is passionate about. That is what motivated Jesus. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again from the dead on that third day. And so if you're going to think like Jesus, I've got to think about the sinners around me. Okay? We've got to think about that. We've got to think about those people we're hanging around. And so many times they say, we're not supposed to be of the world. Okay? I understand that. But that doesn't mean you hide in the church. It doesn't mean you hide in the pews. It doesn't mean the only thing we do is within this building. It means we get out of the pews, get out of the church. We go hang out with sinners. That's what we have to do. Okay? Understand that. Is it easy? 
No. Do we always like it? No. Are we going to hear things we don't like? Absolutely. Are they going to gripe about anything and everything? Are they going to gripe about the church they used to go to? Probably. But what does Jesus say? He says, go. Go to them. Have a passion for them. Show them. Let Christ shine through us so they can see Him through us so we're thinking like Him. So where do we start? How do we begin to think like Jesus? Paul tells us in our text, number one, we start with prayer. Listen to what he says. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in change. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Notice what Paul tells us to start out praying for. He says, start praying for this team of missionaries that are going out. He asked for a prayer to have the opportunities to proclaim, to speak about Christ and the mystery of Christ, to have that ability to clearly speak and to get results. But why start there? I mean, why does he want us to start there? I mean, as I kind of worked on this sermon and got it finished up, this was going to be my kind of last point. But then I realized there's some wisdom in what Paul is telling us, what Paul is wanting us to do and asking us to pray for missionaries and preachers. You see, God wants us to focus on how other people witness about Christ. And then we focus on people like missionaries and preachers and youth workers, and we're praying for their success and what they do. Then we can pick up with the traits and all the other aspects of this and some of their passion for Christ. You see, by praying for people who are invested so much of their life into sharing their faith in Christ can be effective so, so, so they can be effective in sharing Christ. So I want you to do me a favor this morning. Everybody have a bulletin from this morning? If you have a bulletin, do me a favor. Pull out this individual sheet. Paul says we start by praying, right? This is in your bulletin every Sunday, okay? Every Sunday. If you look at it, there's praises, there's prayers and concerns, remembering families, continuing prayers, and then there's, on the back side, nursing homes, general, missions, and military. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take this paper. I want you to put it someplace where you can see it every day. Whether it's on your bathroom mirror. I don't care if you put it in your car where you can see it. Or in a book that you're going to pick up every day. Or by your coffee maker for most of us. So when you turn your coffee maker on in the morning, you can see it. But I want you to think about something. If you took time to pray for all these people through the week, it's going to take you pretty much a week to do it. But think about something. On the back side, under general, it says pray for the church family, sister churches, the lost, our church leaders, our schools, our ministers. Think about this. I know people, and I've had people tell me they struggle about praying for other churches, but those other churches are not our enemies. As I stand here, within an hour radius of our church, there are four churches looking for ministers. There's a church 20 minutes from here, one of our churches, who just in the last week, his wife, after 20 years, decided, I don't want to be married to minister anymore, left him and the kids. She says, if you want to get out of ministry, we can work it out. Think about that. Another minister, about an hour from here, is out of the ministry, went back to a secular job because he struggled with alcohol. 
He hid it from his church and his wife for three years. He's getting better. He's doing the secular thing. God's not finished with him yet. But those are the struggles. You know, ministers going back to secular jobs because of the pressures and the things happening in the church and in the world. You know, just think about what's going on. And we just kind of keep going on through life like, oh, well, take care of itself. It's all good. I mean, how many people have heard, well, God's in control. God will take care of it. But you know what? He needs us. He needs us to step in and step out and start praying like Paul tells us to. Take that bolt and insert and just do that. See, Paul set the pattern for us. Now Paul makes sure we can make Jesus shine through our lives. And it starts right here, what Paul says, by praying. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody that can't take a minute or two every day and just pray. Okay? Just a minute or two. I'm not asking for an hour. I'm not asking for two hours. I'm not saying that. But according to the board, we got 90 people here this morning. Imagine if 90 people took two minutes a day. It's 180 minutes. I'm not going to do the whole math. That's a lot of prayer, just two minutes a day. And then it goes a little bit longer. People ask me all the time, how can I serve? What can I do? And they, and yes, they're the older generation. And yeah, there's probably not a lot that they can do. But I know they can do this, as we all can. Let Jesus shine. Catch what he says in verses 5 and 6. And this, I think this is so important for us that we need to grab onto. He says, be wise in the way you act towards others. Why? I mean, why should we be wise in the way we act towards others? Because those are the ones Jesus cares about. Those are the ones Jesus is thinking about. Those people that were around. So be wise the way you act towards outsiders. He says, make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because that's what Jesus would do. He says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Why? Because your answer may introduce them to Jesus by what we say, and by what we do. Now, folks, understand, this is not rocket science. This is as simple as it gets. All Paul is telling us is this. Make sure people know that Jesus has changed you. If you want Jesus to shine through you, and if he want Jesus to, you wants us to think like Jesus, you've got to think like you did when you were, go back a few years for a lot of us, when you first started dating your spouse. You remember that? Think about that. What was it like? You were giddy. You know, most of <laughs> Larry's ever given me, <laughs> you know. You were giddy. You were nervous. You were worried about what? Saying something stupid or doing something stupid. And then if something was said that was, it's not quite sure how you wanted it to be said or you did something you weren't quite sure, you went home that evening, you're going, man, how stupid can I be? You know, and then a few years later down the road, we look back and you say, well, that was nothing compared to what I've done today, you know. But that's how we should be treating these non-Christians, these people that we should be making contact with, be in the world that we need. So remember back, remember all those things that you did, that you said. Remember how bad you felt days afterwards, you messed up and you knew it. So if you... 
if I are trying to think like Jesus thought, then we have to look at everyone around us like we're courting them for Jesus. Make sure we say the right things. Make sure we act the way we should. I'm not saying be fake. I'm saying act like what Jesus. So every time we don't act or don't speak wisely around them, every time we get angry or curse or treat somebody badly, folks, we should cringe a little bit. We really should. Why? Because we messed up. We really messed up. And get this, by doing those things, we may have pushed someone away from Jesus that Jesus loved, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. I'm going to close with this story. A story about a missionary in Africa who gave a Bible to this African man. When it was given to him, the man hugged it so close and expressed express his appreciation for it as this precious gift of God's word that this missionary had given him this Bible. But when the missionary saw him a few days later, he noticed, much to his dismay, that the Bible looked like it had already been falling apart, that it had pages actually missing. And the missionary asked him, what happened? What happened to this new Bible that I gave you? What did you do to your Bible? When I gave it to you, you thought and you considered it a treasure from it. The man replied, indeed, it was a very precious possession. It's the finest gift I've ever received. It is so precious that when I returned to my village, I very carefully chose a page and tore it out and gave it to my mother. Then I tore out another page and gave it to my father. I tore out another page and gave it to my wife. Finally, I gave a page of God's word to everybody in the village. God's precious gift. But you see, God has given us this precious gift, this gift of life, this gift of opportunity, this gift to think like he thinks, that we think about the world, we think about sinners, we think about what's going on in the world, and we need to do something about it. And I, I understand. I mean, I think the hard part is for us as we sit here this morning, we're going to ask even again, but how do I do this? Okay, what do you want from me? I just want you to start thinking. A little bit once you start praying about it and ask yourself okay God what do you need from me what do I need to change what do I need to do different and that's where the rub comes in a little bit I have to change a little bit I may have to do something a little bit different I may have to do something that maybe I've never really liked to do but I need to do it anyway it's what I need to do first and that is what Paul says is pray.